sermon podcast of Dan Roschke, pastor of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information about Bethlehem, visit our website at blclife.org. But now, here's Pastor Dan and his sermon for today. Friends, grace to you and peace from God, who creates us from the clay of the earth, Jesus, who redeems us from our sin and brokenness, and from the Holy Spirit, who comforts us and challenges us today and always. Amen. And welcome to the year of Mark. Happy New Year. Today is the first Sunday of the new church year, the first Sunday of Advent, and we have just heard a very fascinating passage from chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel. I'll remind you, that's almost the end of Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel is only 16 chapters, so the only thing left in in, in the Gospel after the 13th chapter is the passion of Jesus. This is Mark's final discourse from Jesus. We've been in Matthew's final discourse for like the month of November. But here we are in Mark's final discourse, the final things, the final words, and Christ is making here apocalyptic statements that are both beautiful and terrifying. Statements about the end. Very appropriate for this first Sunday of Advent. Because Christians begin with the end in mind. That's not meant to, it's not because we're, you know, doomsday. (laughs) It's a good thing. We begin with the end in mind. We know what happens in the story. And we're calling that end to mind once again here this morning. Advent literally means a coming towards, from the Latin, of course. Advent is the season of marking Jesus coming towards us and our broken world. It is a celebration. Advent is a celebration of God's arrival. But Jesus' arrival is a process. Just as a season is a process, a steady unfolding. As Christians, we recognize that Jesus doesn't just magically appear in the manger and we all start singing. (laughs) It's a process, and that's what these weeks are before. And that process requires some patience. It's actually really exciting. Growing up, some of you have heard me say this before, my brothers and I, we each had our own nativity scenes. Um, Mom would decorate the house, and she was pretty particular about what went where and how. <laughs> but when it came to our own nativity scenes, those were ours, and those little figurines, were all they were ours to put however we wanted and, and, and direct it all. The one rule was, it was a special thing to be able to set that up however we liked. The one rule was, though, no baby Jesus in the manger until Christmas Eve. So mom would give us our nativity scenes and we'd go set those up, but she'd take the baby Jesus until it was Christmas Eve. Just as a reminder of this process, I kind of grew up with that idea. Why is Jesus' arrival so special? Why is it so needed? Why is it so timeless and magnificent? That's what we really get to ponder now in these early weeks of Advent. And this text for today helps us with that a bit. Or a lot. 
How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? What a sight to behold, right? Talk about both beautiful and terrifying. <laughs> the Grand Canyon, it's a scene of peace and serenity. How many hundreds of thousands of artists and poets have been inspired by its beauty? I got a call from a, a good friend just a few weeks ago. He was at the Grand Canyon with his girlfriend, and he was just so moved. When the sun was coming up, they were camping there, and in the morning, he proposed to her. <laughs> he said, Pastor, I'm engaged. <laughs> he called me. So excited. It's, I mean, that beauty, it's so exciting. And yet, the Grand Canyon is the very product of the power and wrath of nature. Torrential downpours, floods, centuries and centuries and centuries of tearing away at the rock, hot, soaring hot temperatures, and freezing cold temperatures that crack the rocks, the colliding and the shifting of tectonic plates, causing earthquakes, even volcanoes. All of this has contributed to and are part of the ancient history of that wondrous place, the Grand Canyon. Take a look at some pictures of the Grand Canyon when you go home, just to kind of see again what I'm talking about. The irony or the paradox of the Grand Canyon, it's palpable, sheer terror and absolute beauty. And that's a fitting illustration for our lessons for today. From both Mark and Isaiah, sheer terror and absolute beauty and serenity. The stars falling, the powers of heaven shaken, the son of humanity coming in clouds with great power and glory, the elected gathered from the ends of the earth to the ends of the sky. This really kind of puts our day-to-day -day lives, issues into perspective, doesn't it? But there's something else I'd like you to imagine as you think about the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is a powerful and a painful metaphor for our sin. Our separation from God. Can you imagine the landscape of a time before sin? In other words, what landscape is the opposite of the Grand Canyon? Before the deep chasm, you might imagine a field, maybe a cornfield, maybe a beautiful park or a luscious garden or a tropical jungle spread like a blanket over the earth. A land before sin and brokenness, paradise. Imagine that. Perfect relationships, perfect connections. In that space, God, human beings, plants, and animals all lived closely together, side by side, harmoniously, symbiotically. But then something happened. Sin changed that harmonious relationship. The beautiful plants of the field withered up. The trees burned away. The land started to crack and open up and a deep, deep, Deep chasm of sin formed between God and human beings. Imagine that you are standing on one side of the Grand Canyon all alone, separated from community, separated from family, separated from God. That's what our sin has done to us. 
Sin is a chasm, and we stand alone on one side, longing to be connected again. Now, that's the kind of backdrop we need to talk about our, when we think about our Advent scripture. If we just start celebrating the birth of Jesus without recognizing our state of isolation, our need for reconnection and wholeness, our celebrations will come up empty. Here's the wonder of it all. If sin separates us from God and that original state of perfect harmony with God's world, then Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge. We could never by our own actions get back across that great chasm of sin. It's like standing on one side of the Grand Canyon and thinking about jumping across it or something. It's silly. We could never by our own actions get back across that Grand Canyon of sin, that Grand Canyon of our own selfishness and pride. And let me just pause here and talk about sin. Reinhold Niebuhr said that that in the mid-20th century, that the greatest sin, the greatest human sin was pride. <laughs> um, maybe that's true for some of us. Maybe he speaks to some of us, but, um, but certainly feminist scholars came along uh, later when their voices could be heard, finally, and said, this doesn't ring true for, for many, that the sin is the sin of pride. For others, the great sin is the sin of hiding, of not speaking up, not when it's about survival, there's some sense there, but, but refusing to be the person that God has called you to be. I'm just saying that this isn't a gender thing. This is, these were scholars in the, in the mid-20th century. I think we've come a long way. I'm just saying that sin looks different for each of us. Plenty of men are guilty of the sin of hiding. Plenty of women are guilty of the sin of pride, but it's, it's a, these, are, these are ideas to get the wheels turning about what the sin, what the separation looks like for you personally. What is that great chasm that separates you from God? And now know that God built a bridge. This is the Christmas story. As Lutherans, as Christians, we, we, we have a pretty honest and some say depressing or grim view of the human condition because we believe that sin is very real. We see that every time we look into the eyes of a starving child, knowing that there is enough food on this planet for everyone. We just don't share it very well. It's an understatement. We know that sin is very real as we watch and some have even experienced the violence of war bombs exploding, cities going up in smoke, innocent civilians paying the cost, suffering. We know that sin is real, for we have heard and some have experienced children being neglected, women being abused, those who are sick, those who are strangers being made fun of and then forgotten, 
sin is real. Whenever we choose a path of least resistance or just plain silence in the face of injustice, starvation, famine, genocide, racism, the rape of our natural environment, the oceans, the forests, the deserts, the streams, I don't think I need to go on and on about the Grand Canyon of our sin. And so we can relate to Isaiah who screams to God, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. It's that dramatic. Oh, how we need Jesus to repair our broken world, to bridge that chasm of our sin, to restore a right relationship with our creator and the creation in which we find ourselves. Today, we must plead for that. Oh, that Jesus would bridge the gap between us and God. We don't need an infant Jesus because he's cute and cuddly and always comes this time of year with the smell of peppermint and pine. No, we need Jesus because there is so much sickness and pain and separation in our world, in our lives, in our hearts. All that we need Jesus to tear open the heavens and come into our lives, repairing those broken relationships in our families, restoring to us those we have wronged, and ushering us on a road to forgiveness for those who have wronged us. Oh, that Jesus would tear open the heavens and come down, and he will, friends in Christ would probably try to shoot him out of the sky if he came on a cloud. Flaming meteors flanking him, earthquaking under him. We couldn't handle that approach. I mean, many of us don't even like reading or thinking about this on Advent 1. <laughs> so God arrives in smaller ways, sneaks into our world by night through seemingly nobody people in seemingly nowhere places like Bethlehem. But we know what the significance is. We're getting a peek today. We start with the end in mind. Friends, siblings in Christ, we gather in this season of Advent because wherever we are in our troubled lives, we are promised that a better day will come, that a bridge has been built. Christ is coming towards us, adventing us, crossing the great divide. And that is both terrifying and beautiful. But the first step on this first Sunday of a new year is simply to wake up and realize that we are in fact longing the wonder and uniqueness of Christians is that we see the world with different eyes. We see the sin and the brokenness, the chasm. We're not going to deny it. With eyes that are open and awake, aware of the chasm, honest about it. So we watch, friends, and we wait, and we long, and we plead, and we pray, and we celebrate that God will and does make all things new. God will and does make all things new in Jesus Christ, who is our comfort and hope, this day and forevermore. Amen.
us at Bethlehem Lutheran Church. Thank you for listening. Check us out again soon. And to learn more about our national church body, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, visit elca.org. Goodbye for now. And remember, God's outpouring of grace and peace never runs dry. Here's to a new day. Evangelical. That was terrible. To learn more about our national church body. Start over, start over. (laughs) Okay. Is that hard? No, not really. Pretty easy? Yeah. You're good at it.